We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Odo, and you're listening to episode 75. Welcome home. My name is David Sville, and I have Travis Sowers again with me this week. Back from his vacation, where did you go and what did you do? I went to Wyoming. I got into your time zone for a little bit to hang out with my family, my mom, dad, and my sister. So it was good to get away, good to spend some time with the family. Uh, and I am significantly less grumpy now. I'm not ready to write any more strongly worded letters. <laughs> That's good. You... You needed a break. It's good to get away once in a while and uh, see the family. And you got a nice looking family. I saw the pictures on Twitter. So, oh, thanks. You you see them and you kind of wonder how did they have a kid that looks like that? It's it's funny. They all look a little different, but you can kind of see the, the resemblance between them all. And it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Your dad looks like a cool fellow. My dad is super cool. I'll <laughs> give you that. I, I tried to get him into Twitch. It it didn't happen. But I mean, he gave it a shot and and watched a stream with me for about thirty minutes. So. At least he sort of understands what I do a little better now. That's good. That's good. That's good. Speaking of coming home or welcome home, uh, welcome back core sets coming out in two weeks. M19 or core 19. I keep calling it M19, but it's actually core 19, core set 19, um, is coming out to Magic Online and your pre-release in a little less than two weeks as of the time of the recording, July 6th on Magic Online. I'm super happy to see corsets come back. It's such a great way to teach a new person how to play magic and to get a palate cleanser between, I mean, what they used to call expert level sets, whatever you want to call them now. It's nice to have like a bread and butter magic set before we go off to some weird new world. Uh, and it, it's kind of neat to see them touching on the worlds that we visited lately here. You'll see some cards that are clearly Kaladesh themed or Ixalan themed. And I, I kind of dig that, that we kind of get this hodgepodge of here's some cool stuff from all the different worlds we play in. You know, it's interesting. I never really, I kind of took for granted how much I paid attention to the worlds that we visited. Um, but like when I first started playing Magic again, like in the corsets there, they didn't really mean anything to me. Like the, the cards that came from the different planes, I didn't really recognize. But now that we're coming back to a corset and I've seen all of these Kaladesh, Amonkhet blocks... And now I'm seeing the cards in the core set again. It it, it kind of seems kind of seems cool, right? It kind of brings everything together, and I can now appreciate kind of what everybody else was seeing before in these core sets as well, at least from a story perspective. Like there's not much of a story here, even though there is a cohesive story kind of outside of the cards. But it's neat to see these little glimpses into the worlds that we've already visited, um, and see you know not necessarily familiar faces, but familiar ish uh, races or characters or creature types or things like that. It's it's really cool. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, me too. I was excited to look through here and I'd forgotten about the M and Cat ones because like that's my favorite plane that's ever existed so far. So just getting a little hint of, hey, here's this. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, it's a good mix of easy to understand creatures, right? Like you've got a lot of your commons and uncommons are good to teach people uh, the game. So I think I talked a couple of weeks ago about the you know game design philosophy and I know it was mentioned on I think Mark Rosewater's blog or, or somebody else's blog for Wizards where uh, teaching 
through exceptions. So teaching things like, you know, you put haste on a creature and it says this creature can attack the turn it comes into play, meaning that, oh, but normally you can't do that, right? Because otherwise haste wouldn't be a mechanic. And so you see a lot of these easy to understand cards at common and uncommon, but then you jump up to rare and mythic rare, and there's some pretty cool cards up there that are like, they should satisfy kind of the more experienced player, whether it be in draft or sealed or, or constructed or whatever. But it should be easy to teach people how to play this set from a common and uncommon perspective, which I think is really cool. And there's going to be some cards that new players are going to be excited to open. The Elder Dragons, there's five, six Planeswalkers in this set, if you count Nicol Bolas. There's just a lot which of... Which we do. Which we do. Uh, you know, you got to work for the Planeswalker there. But there's a lot of really cool things going on in this set. And uh, it sucks that it comes right on the heels of Dominaria, which some people regard as one of the best draft sets in a long time um you know it might live in the shadow but i think this has potential to be a very good set as far as at least core sets go um and you know it's pretty tough to make a bad draft set these days for wizards so i I have high expectations of of this set playing out in a in a positive fashion yeah man all of those things and then like i said i i look at this as a nice solid palette cleanser you know we're we're very used to in dominaria drafts looking for the bombs and the answers to bombs and after I went through this, like, there's some powerful cards, but there's not, you know, must answer right now legendary uncommons floating around all over the place. So I, I think it'll bring us back to a little bit more bread and butter style magic, which I, I enjoy playing. Mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed drafting corsets. Yeah, me too. Um, there's some value cards here for people too, if you like collecting or, or you know, that side of things. So it, it's, it looks like it's got mm-hmm. something for everybody. Um, the archetype seem you know, not necessarily um, complicated, like they're they're pretty laid out there for the most part, but there's a couple of sub-themes, you know, there's a mill sub-theme, when isn't there a mill sub-theme? Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see where the different directions we could go in this set, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to review it. So today is our usual set review, preview show, whatever you want to call it. We don't go through every single card anymore. Um, we don't have eight hours to spend on this podcast, but what we do, for those that haven't listened <laughs> to this before... Um, is we're going to touch on some of the key commons and uncommons or sometimes rares and mythics, the cards that are really excited to look for and play and maybe potentially some of the trap cards. Any cards that we disagree on, you and I will probably highlight in here as well. Uh, But we're looking to set you up for your first sealed event, maybe your pre-release or your first drafts. Uh, And then this is an interesting time period here because the set was actually spoiled a week early which means we have an extra week before we can actually play with the cards. So next week, we're going to do a deep dive into the format. Uh, We're going to do some number crunching on the stats of the set, the power toughness ratios. Um, We're going to do some pick one, pack ones. We're going to kind of dive a little deeper. But this one here is suited for, you know, you just want an hour and a half of information about the set. Maybe you didn't have time to read the spoiler. You're listening on the bus on your way to your pre-release. This is probably the podcast for you. So anything else to add to that or should we just dive right in? Uh, We certainly want to dive in. I do want to mention that we'll be looking at this from a purely uh, limited perspective. Uh, So we're not really talking about cards that we think may have a splash or an impact in Constructed. Although I did want to mention that I I really like corsets for that safety valve scenario uh, for Constructed. And I think that's something that would have been really nice to have in the past. If there's a perfect old card that would, you know, create a better standard environment, but it doesn't make sense to reprint you know, in a new set because it was very heavily flavored in an old one. This gives them the opportunity to not have to do that and just kind of inject it into a core set. So I think that's a really good thing for constructed. And there's certainly some cards here that are going to make a splash. 
Uh, but when we do our set review shows, we're really looking at limited play, so sealed and draft. Yeah, and generally one-on-one. I know some people play, like myself, Two at a Giant at the pre-release. Um, you know, Two at a Giant is an entirely different beast that people maybe play once, so we're going to focus on kind of the common limited formats here. So, all right, mm-hmm. then let's just dive right in. we got about an hour and a half to go here, so we're going to start with White. And uh, the first card up for me is interesting, and this I don't know if this is a signpost for the set yet, um, but it'll be interesting to see how this plays, is the Aether Shield Artificer. Three and a white, it's an uncommon dwarf uh, artificer. It's a 3-3, three, three, and has the ability at the beginning of combat on your turn, target artifact creature you control gets plus two, plus two, and gains indestructible until end of turn. Now, the reason I bring this up is I was watching a little bit of the loading ready run pre-pre-release, and one of the players there, or two of the players there, had decks that were featuring this card, and it looked like it functioned very, very well, and I don't know if they just had a very good deck for it, or if it's something that you can pick this up and hope to pick up a couple of artifact tokens, thopters, or you know you can pick up some artifact creatures later on, or if there's just not enough support for this card. And I'm really curious to see where this ends up. Yeah, I, I had this pegged initially because I did the set review today with Ethan, and because I was on vacation with my folks, I didn't really look at the spoiler. So I saw this card without knowing what the artifact creatures were, and I thought this has got to be powerful. And he said, well, the artifacts aren't all that great. Looking around, I still think this is going to be pretty darn good. There's a blue creature that comes with a Thopter, and there's a uh, a Bronze Sable variant, a 2-1 Piker. Like, you're going to need two drops, and if I have this, I'm pretty happy for that to be my two drop. It's, it's not the best, but like it, it'll trade with your opponent's two drop and do something here. So I think this card actually looks quite good. Um, you know, e- e- even with a th- turning a Thopter into a 3-3 that they can't really block, it's kind of a big deal they're going to have to answer this, and the body is... It's not terrible at, at a 3-3 three, three for 4. Yeah, I mean, in white, you can do a little bit better at the 4 mana slot, usually. Like, you can get something with Vigilance or First Strike in there sometimes. Um, but if if the floor of this is just a, a three man, or a 4 mana 3-3, three, three, I'm, I'm pretty okay with that at, at its worst. Probably not playing this unless I have a couple of targets, right? Like, you'd be pretty sad just putting this in your deck. There's better if you're... Whatever your other color is, you're going to find better cards in this slot. But if you're playing, pairing this with blue and you have a Thopter Maker... Um, you know, or just a handful of artifact cards. I think this this could be, it could be annoying enough that your opponent has to deal with it at some point. So I'm looking to see how this plays out. Um, you know, I think the grading, like I'm not going to give it a grade or anything, but I think the grade for it would vary wildly depending on how many artifacts you have. Obviously, if you have eight artifact creatures with this or tokens or whatever, this card obviously is insane. So yeah, I, I think three is probably the line for me to want to put it in the deck, mm-hmm. and then anything more than that, I'm actively excited about it. Okay. But how about cards that are fine on their own and get better with, or sorry, better on their own and get even better with support? So the next one that I'm interested in here is Ajani's Pride Mate. So this is a reprint, and this card is bananas in a lot of decks. So I I scrolled through the set. I was actually on um, Ian Suzuki's Scalding Hot Soup um, stream the other day, and we reviewed most of white and uh, and the color of the gold cards. And um, we saw that there was a lot of instant and a life gain. And so a card like Ajani's Pride Mate, so one in a white for a 2-2 cat soldier, whenever you gain life, uh, you may put a plus one, plus one counter on Ajani's Pride Mate. So why is this card so good? Like it's it's a two mana 2-2 two, two at its worst. Where is it at its best? Well, if you have, a, you know, let's say, you know, just low bar dream. If I have one lifelink creature in my deck, every time that creature connects, this one's going to grow. 
And as you mentioned, there's plenty of spells that have incidental life gain. So like there's a reason this is an uncommon and not a common. You're pretty happy with the 2-2 for 2 in most core sets. And as we went through today and, and talked about a lot of these cards, that does seem like a reasonable stat line. You're going to be playing some Goblin Pikers, some 2-1s, and you're going to be playing a couple 2-3s. But a Grizzly Bear seems like a reasonable size for this format. And the fact that this one has upside... I think it would be pretty difficult to draft a white deck that doesn't have some life gain in it. Not to mention, if you have this, you're going to be actively going after that. I'd encourage you not to play bad cards to make it work. But I I would say definitely put in that incidental life gain, like some lifelink creatures. And it can certainly get out of hand. Like once it's a 4-4, it's it's kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's in, in the blind, I think it's a must remove early on if you can. Like, obviously, if you have Shock, you kill it right away. Um, if you have Lightning Strike, you kill it right away. But it, it can get out of control very quickly. There's uh, one or two cards that gain life on ETB. Uh, so enter the battlefield effect. There's a Dwarf at four mana, and there's a Vampire at black at six mana, I believe. There might even be more. Actually, sorry, there's a Vampire at three mana, too. The the Bloodletter, the Skymarch Bloodletter, which is a reprint. So mm-hmm. you can't just wait for your opponent to show that they have lifelink or show that they have some other way to gain life, I think you probably need to deal with this sooner rather than later if you're going to deal with it at all. The best part about this is multiples. Oh, yeah. Like, this is this is an interesting card because I would jam as many of these as I can in my deck. I don't care. If I have eight of these, I'm playing eight of these with some lifelink. It just doesn't matter. You want a critical mass of these, and a critical mass is basically two. Um, and if you can always guarantee that you have one or two on the board on, you know, turn four, and then you start gaining your life... It, it's kind of nutty. So draft these early and draft these often. Um, I don't think the grade is as high as like premium removal. Um, but I think the upside could be if you draft it early enough and get more of them. Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm still going to take luminous bonds over the first one, but it, you know, if I get past a pack that doesn't have any removal and I'm seeing this versus some other vanilla creatures, I'm pretty interested in this. Yeah, it's interesting. I might, even though luminous bonds is a higher grade for me, I might take this one first just because it's an uncommon and you're not going to see more of these. Whereas luminous bonds, you probably like, there's a chance you open them in pack two and pack three, I think. So, but that's fair. Totally respect taking removal early. So uh next for me i've got angel of the dawn uh this is four and a white for a three three flyer it's an angel when it enters the battlefield creatures you control get plus one plus one and vigilance until end of turn dawn feather the feather eagle if uh if i remember correctly right yeah and we just did the flashback drafts on arena and dawn feather eagle was stupid mm-hmm. just straight up stupid i i managed to get a deck with three of them which never w- I, I don't think that would have happened if i'm not drafting against bots but it, it was absolutely absurd and i imagine that this will be too i bet i'm gonna first pick this out of some packs yeah so and there's a lot of like weenie support in white there's a lot of there's a couple of token makers there's a card that comes with it. There's a creature that comes with a token, knightly valor, things like that. So if you pair this up with, uh, you know, let's say red, maybe you're going aggressive. You're pairing it up with blue. You're trying to get some uh, some thopter tokens. Pairing it up with green, even just making big dumb creatures that have now have vigilance, basically hits all the check marks for uh, for any deck you're playing in this format. Yeah, the card's really good, and like you'd be happy with three and a white for a three three flyer. Like that'd be a great deal. Mm-hmm. We're basically just playing that one extra to get the Vigilance and the plus one, plus one. Like, it enables attacks your opponents wasn't sus- expecting, um, as well as still leaves you with blocks. So I- I'm super happy with this card. It- common? 
yeah, it's really good. You're going to see this every game you play against white, I think. You just have to expect it. <laughs> Not, I mean, seriously. Yeah, if they've right? got a good white deck, yeah, for right? sure. It's, it's just the thing, right? So when you're when you're thinking about all the blocks that you're that you're going to make next turn if your opponent attacks, just maybe tack on an extra plus one, plus one on there just in case. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What's next for me? Next up for me is the Gallant Cavalry, unless you want to talk about Cavalry Drillmaster at all. It's a very good two drop. It's a very good two drop. It's a one and a white for two one. When it enters the battlefield, target creature gets plus two plus zero and first strike until end of turn. Push through some extra damage early on or even late game potentially. Um, mm-hmm. d- decent, decent two drop. There's a lot of two drops here though. Depends on what style of deck you want to be playing. Um, Gallant Cavalry is interesting to me. I think this is um, this is going to be a staple in the go wide white deck. Obviously, so it's three and a white for a two two human knight with vigilance. When it enters the battlefield, you create a 2-2 white knight creature token with Vigilance. So it's basically called a cavalry with a body instead of uh, being a sorcery. Which I think is an upside in many cases. There's some, you know, graveyard recursion in black. So, like, you could potentially get this thing back. Maybe it gets bounced. So, like, there's there's some interesting things you could do with it. Call the Cavalry was great. I presume this is going to be two. I, you know... Yes, there's some go wide strategies, but even if there's not, this is functionally a four four for four that it, when you're interested in blocking. So like I've I've always been happy with this card. Yeah, and splitting the power and toughness up over multiple bodies is better with things like Angel of the Dawn, or if you have an anthem effect that you want to play, there's a, a Night Lord at rare as well, so you get extra plus one plus one of stats out of a card like this. So it's pretty cool to to see this. Um there's a fair number of knights in, in this format, and uh and the Night Lord I think will be very good. So cards like this go up in value, obviously, if you have that. But, I mean, it's a good rate. It's a good card. And the best part is, I think about it, is that you can tutor it up. There's a Militia Bugler later on, which uh, looks at a you know the top few cards of your deck, and you can pull a creature out that has power two or less. This counts, which is yeah. kind, of a, kind of a sweet little curve out if you can pull it off. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, Herald of Faith. This might be one of the more annoying white, uncommon, or common creatures. It's three white white for a four three flyer. Whenever it attacks, you gain two life. Yeah, I think this actually stacks up close to favorably with Sarah Angel, which we were you know pretty happy with in the last set. And then there's also, as we've mentioned, some payoffs for gaining life. Obviously, a Johnny's Pride Mate's a big one. I'd clearly run this anyway. Like the upside for Sarah Angel was that it held back a two two or a three three because of the vigilance. This functionally does that too because you're gaining the two life when you attack with it. Right, So even if you attack with it and they swing back for two or three, you're still pretty close to even. It's missing a point of toughness, uh, which is going to matter. Snapping Drake's actually in this set. So like, there's a few things that can block it in the air. Lightning Strike will get it, which is in here. So it, it's not invincible, but the card's quite good. I, I agree. And um, again, incidental life gain. Like Obviously, you'd rather have lifelink, but um, the fact that this happens before the damage is dealt could be important for cards like Ajani's Pride Mate. Yeah, you could attack it into a 3-3 with this and then have it grow to a 3-3. Yeah. You know, so it could trade or whatever. Yeah, so there's some interesting things here. Um, It's just cool. I think it's going to be very annoying. I'm glad it's an uncommon and not a common. We'll just put it that way. Well, I am, unless I'm playing white, in which case I'd rather it be a common. But, you know, say lovey. This is true. This is true. So, uh, Hyromancer's Cage is uh, our Ixalan's Binding of the set. Three and a white for an enchantment when it enters the battlefield. Exile a permanent non-land permanent sorry uh, an opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield 
So um, enchantment removal is back, as it always is. And as far as naturalized effects go, there are a handful. But I still think this card mm-hmm. will be uh, will be good. It'll be good, just as good as Ixlens Binding was, um, minus the can't cast clause, which generally didn't come up in limited. Yeah, this is this is your premium white removal spell. It, like Oblivion Ring always felt a little too good at three mana. I think this is a fair price for it. Mm-hmm. It's going to kill most of the things you want to kill. Although, be aware the creatures seem kind of smallish in this set. Uh, with with some notable exceptions, but like you, you you may be spending more to get rid of something than you paid. But there's also an aura sub theme, so like if your opponent suits up a, a small creature, I think you're going to be happy about just getting your two for one and moving on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next up for me, this is one of your favorite cards, I think. Uh, Knightly Valor. Why don't you uh, why don't you tell us what Knightly Valor does? Sure. It's four and a white for an aura. As I mentioned, there's some auras. It's at an uncommon. This used to be a common. Now it's an uncommon. What's that tell you? Enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and has vigilance, and you create a two-two white knight creature token with vigilance. So the reason I like this is it enables an attack that your opponent wasn't suspecting. Giving the creature vigilance means you have a blocker that they also weren't suspecting, and if they untap and deal with it, you still got a two-two knight out of the deal. One of the things I don't like about a lot of auras that you'll see is that they're very cheap to cast, meaning you're encouraged to you know play a creature, play the aura, cross your fingers. This one is so expensive that you can't screw up and play it early. So your opponent has usually used a removal spell on your best creature. And now you're turning maybe your second best creature into your best creature. So even when they deal like, you know, if I've got a 4-4 and a 3-3 and the board's relatively clear, I might just put this on the 3-3 so that I can have attacks with both and the knight left over. And when they deal with this, I've still got a decent creature left over. Uh, So I think Knightly Valor ticks a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, it does a really good job of spreading the threat around, um, not putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, it's it's, it's good. It's it's a good card. Um, it's tough to get blown out, I think, with this card if you play it correctly. So um, listeners of the podcast previously will remember that uh, you like Mark of the Vampire, and it was for the same reason, except Mark of the Vampire you generally played when your opponent was in top deck mode, right? They used a bunch of removal already, and they were tapped out, and you're like, sweet, I get to put this down, get a swing out with it, and then they either have to have their one removal in hand be or one card in hand be removal or they have to top deck removal in order to deal with it and that's kind of you don't quite have to go to that extreme with knightly valor i think but you want to make sure that you get that that knight token out of it so that you get something if your if your creature gets blown out on the next turn Mm -hmm. all right i i want to jump in here i noticed you skipped this one and it's not necessarily a good card but we need to remember that it's in the format inspired charge uh yes i did skip it yeah, and I, I, again, it's not a good card necessarily. It can be good in some decks, but it's two white-white instant creatures you control get plus two, plus one until end of turn. It's kind of a reward for going wide, and I just want anybody going to a pre-release to be aware that this card exists in the format. We last saw it in Kaladesh, and there was there were decks that could take advantage of it. I think there will be here too, but I, I don't think you need to you know build your deck around it or make sure you play it or anything like that. Yeah, if you had enough knight tokens, uh, this obviously goes way up in value, so... Yeah. Okay. Um, Luminous Bonds, you mentioned. This is probably the white best removal um, for its rate. Tuna White, this is a reprint. Tuna White for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature can't block. Or, or attack. Sorry, attack or block, sorry. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's your typical pacifism effect at three mana. And um, this is, like, early front runner for best common in white, I would say. I think a lot of people are going to say... And that's just because it's removal. I think that'll change if the format is, you know, faster, slower, whatever we decide. 
um, subject to change. But I think right now, um, just the best piece of removal in white. It, this format doesn't look as bomb heavy to me as Dominaria did. Like, again, there are certainly bombs in the format, and you're going to want to have removal spells. But I can see a deck that has maybe one Luminous Bonds in it being okay. Whereas if I'm going into a Dominaria draft and don't have three, you know, just kill the thing spells, I'm a little nervous. Mm -hmm. uh, so I certainly want one, and yeah, it's, it's, it, it kills the thing. It's going to be great. Uh, but I, I don't think you necessarily need them as much here as you did in Dominaria. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about any combat tricks specifically in here? We've got Make a Stand and Mighty Leap. Mighty Leap's one of my favorite combat tricks. It's one in a white for an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains flying until end of turn. So, like, this can win you a combat in the early game. And if you manage to get your opponent relatively low, you can also just launch something in the air for lethal uh, and, and have a flying attacker that they weren't suspecting. So, like, as far as combat tricks go, after looking at the entire set, this is my favorite one. Uh, but it's still just a combat trick. Yeah. The combat tricks in the core set are pretty, um, not uninspiring. They're pretty, like, average. They're pretty common, I guess. Like, we've seen a lot of these things before. So, like, you know, if your opponent has two untapped green, you can look at it and say, well, I bet you they have a trick, even though you don't need to know what trick it is specifically. You just assume that it's some kind of, like, plus two, plus two, or plus four, plus four, or whatever, right? And that's the same for, I think, a lot of the combat tricks around you know, in that two mana spot in the, in this format. So they're all two mana actually, are they because we've got sure strike Titanic growth and then a supernatural stamina for two mana. Okay. So like they're all two mana combat tricks here. So there you go. And then there's some at uncommon too that do different things, but generally speaking, yeah. you know, if you've played around combat tricks before in the past, you can continue to do the same thing and you'll probably be right about what combat trick they have um, on average. Yeah. Uh, Militia bugler is the, the card that I was talking about earlier, two and a white for a two, three with vigilance, which is pretty decent on its own right there. Uh, and then when it enters the battlefield, you look at the top four cards of your library. You can reveal a, a creature card with power two or less and put it into your hand and put the rest on the bottom in a random order. There are a surprising number of two powered creatures that you can get with this that are pretty decent. You can get cards like Pegasus Courser. You can get the the militia that we were talking about earlier, the one that comes with the knight token. You can get the um, the pride maid, or pride maid, pride mate. You can get a lot of blue cards. Um, it's it. I think this is going to be a, a decent card at the very floor. Uh, you know, just a two three vigilance for three is a pretty good like way to curve out. I think if you're maybe playing a slightly defensive deck or you have some way to augment it later on. Um, and then the upside of potentially drawing a card, I think, is very good. There's also some potential upside of knowing the, the bottom four cards of your library. I've seen people dismiss this, and I'm not playing the card for this, but like, here's four cards I'm probably not going to see this game, right? So if if I have one Mighty Leap in the deck, I probably don't want to like try to organize the game and throw away dudes hoping that I'll draw it, because I'm probably not going to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're talking about um, next, but, like next level strategies there, but you know, just knowing that your Wrath is at the bottom even or something like that can be huge. It can change your strategy entirely. Yeah, or knowing that it's not, and mm -hmm. there's six cards left in your deck. Well, I'm going to draw this in the next couple of draw steps. Anyway, all that aside, this card looks fine to me. I don't think you're going to hit that much, because we're going to be playing some big cards in the decks too. But specifically in a weenie deck, this card would be great. Um, and I think in any white deck, you'll be absolutely happy to play it. Yeah, the fact that it does pick up cards like Pegasus Courser, like cards you'll be happy to pick up in the late game, I think, is also is is good, right? Cards that are three and four mana that have one or two power that still have really good utility, I think it'd be really good. So, agree. Um, speaking of Pegasus Courser, it's back. 
yeah, we just had this in Dominaria. It was like, I think the best white common in the set. Um, and I think I will be picking this sometimes over Luminous Bonds out of packs based on what I've seen there. There's a lot of lopsided power uh, versus toughness creatures. It's right next to a 3-1 for two in, in this review. And I've seen some uh, four twos in other colors. So like there's stuff I want to launch in the air. Yeah. So that's uh, two and a white for a one, three flyer. When it attacks another creature that's attacking gets flying until end of turn. So yeah, go to the skies, go to the skies. Um, Shield mare has the award for the card that I read misread first in the set. One white white for a 2-3 horse. It can't be blocked by red creatures, and when it enters the battlefield or becomes the target of a spell or ability in opponent controls, you gain three life. What do, what's your take on the horse cycle? So there, there's there's all the horses are have the same where they can't be blocked by a color, and then they have some kind of a, like ability, like there's hexproof or enter the battle enter the battlefield ability, something like that. But what's your take on the cycle in general? All of them seemed fine. I was most excited by the green and the black one, but all of them are cards that I'm interested in if I'm in that color. The blue one was the most confusing and kind of hard to figure out exactly what you're supposed to do with it, uh, but it was still fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. This one is... It's fine. Like, I don't think the can't be blocked by red creatures is going to come up very often. Like, I, well, I mean, it comes up some amount of the time but your opponent's gonna be playing two colors so they're probably gonna have creatures that can block something like this anyway so the life gain the incidental life gain could be could be important in your deck yeah and i mean a two three for three isn't the worst like i think i'm interested in having some things that care about life gain Uh, that's not fair i'd probably just play this anyway if it was just you know a hard to cast two three that gained three life i'd probably just run it sure um next up remember stanley I do remember Stanley. What's what's this card's nickname if it's not Stanley? So we've got Star-Crowned Stag, three and a white for a 3-3 three, three Elk. When it attacks, tap target creature defending player controls. Yeah, we saw this in Theros with the Emissary of Heliod. Um, it had an upside in that you could bestow it later. And it was also in a format where kind of both players were trying to build something big. All that said, this is still going to be fantastic. Like, it looks like white wants to be pretty aggressive, and I could see having two of these in a white deck at common and being really happy about it. Mm-hmm. Territorial Hammer Skull was good, too. Um, in that format, you were tapping down, you know, four or five blockers and things like that and, and getting the extra damage through, but that wasn't uncommon, I think, right? No, Stanley was common. Was it? You just oh, okay. didn't... Yeah, it you was. Just you just didn't see, see it that often. much because it's that good. Okay. Um, and it was great, right? Make Give it an extra point of power. Um, I mean four mana kind of sucks for that like stanley was a great turn three play um this will be a great turn four play too uh best friends with pegasus courser yeah because now you get this out of range of danger and you still get to tap something down and send other things into the red zone so pretty happy about this card and then finally yeah, in white we'll, we'll the pick last often card, yes we'll pick often the last card i want to talk about is take vengeance one in a white for assassinate destroy target tapped creature yeah, I think I'm I'm in like I'm gonna play this and I'm gonna be pretty happy about it. I don't want a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um and they, they get worse the more that you have. Uh they're decent in racing situations where your opponent attacks you with their big thing, thinking that they're gonna win the race and then you're able to kill it. But just bear in mind, like this doesn't get blockers out of the way, which seems to be what White would be most interested in doing. It it only works if you can kind of entice your opponent into a race. Because if you need to get that 5-5 out of the way to get your weenies through and they just leave it tapped, it's kind of hard to, to get rid of it. That said, like it's conditional removal. It's not going to be bad. I probably want the first white copy in all of my white decks. It's just you can't run four of these because by the time you get to use them, you're dead. Mm-hmm. 
Are you sad about running this out on the draw on turn two? Like your opponent? Well, no, I guess your opponent wouldn't be attacking you right away, would they? It'd be more like a turn three play. Like, are you going to kill a two drop with this, or are you going to wait to kill something big with this? It it depends on what my hands got for me. You know, if I'm mana screwed and I got a bunch of four drops, yeah, I'm just going to kill the thing so I don't take a million damage from it. Yeah. And like, this isn't necessarily what I'm going to kill their bomb with because a lot of them have enter the battlefield abilities or like one hit and the, the game's kind of out. Um, yeah. But generally speaking, like I want to save this if I can, but if I've got to trade it for something early, I'll do it. Yeah, it's just interesting because like you look at a card like Lightning Strike that has like a ceiling on the things that it can kill and people are pretty happy about using that on a two drop right you know end of yeah. turn i bolt you i lightning bolt your two drop or whatever lightning strike your two drop no big deal so i'm just it's curious to see if there will be a difference between this because this is like quote unconditional removal as long as the creature is tapped so you can get all sorts of big things are people going to get hung up on that and not use it on something that's beating them in the face for two a turn um, and they're not develop, you know, you're not developing your board. Let's say, like, when do you pull that trigger? So it'd be interesting to see how people kind of play this card. I think this could be um, newer players might feel, or not newer players, but like players with a little bit of experience might be too proud to fire this off on something early. But I don't think you should be afraid to if you have more removal in your deck in other places. You know, I I always default to if I can answer their creatures with my creatures, I'd rather do that. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's still the case here. But again, if if they've cast, you know, a, a three one. And I don't have anything to do in my hand until turn four. I, I'm not just going to buckle in for 12 damage from the darn thing. No, just fire it off. Yeah, because then I can't... Like, that's that's the interesting thing about this. If you take too much damage, you can't do anything with it later. Because, you know, say you're at four and they cast a 4-4 four, four flyer. This is not a solid answer for that because you're, you're dead. Yeah, it's no Gideon's reproach, that's for sure. So, yeah. All right, white looks good. It looks um, go whitey like it usually does. Uh, which is probably and, pretty and, typical for a core set. And typically, like, pretty aggressive as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's some cards we didn't mention, right? There's a 3-1, there's an aura sub-theme too, so you can do some serious damage with white. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take us through the blue? Yeah, sure. Uh, I hate that I have to mention this because it's not really the style of magic that I like to play, but this is a powerful card that needs to be respected. Aether Tunnel is one in a blue for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus oh, and can't be blocked. Yeah, so are you putting this on something early, or are you putting this on this on something late? What what are you going to be doing with this one? If if I can help it, I'm going to pretend that this costs five mana and then untaps three lands when I cast it. Mm-hmm. And I think, generally speaking, I'm going to be happy there. There's also going to be times where I know my opponent's deck is better than mine, and I've got a 3-1, and I'm like, you know what, let's see if you've got your shock in hand. Because if you don't, I'm going to kill you with this. And if you do, you, you were probably winning anyway. But generally speaking, I want to cast this as late as possible. Yeah. Like, use it when the board has stalled and I don't have any good attacks, and then put this on my highest power creature and see what happens. Yeah, I agree. It's not the style that I like to play too, but um, it depends on the quality overall of removal in the set. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of... There's some instant speed removal. There's a lot of sorcery speed removal. So, um it, it remains to be seen, but I mean, if auras are good, this is going to be one of the better ones. Yeah, I think if auras are good, this is probably the best one. Okay. Um, next one for me was Aviation Pioneer. I mentioned this card earlier, but like this is kind of a good good deal here. Uh, it's two and a blue for a one-two human artificer. When it comes into play, you get a one-one Thopter creature token. I think it's a neat card. Um, it's too bad there wasn't more of an artifact creature sub-theme on better cards. Like, when you go through the set, you'll kind of see what I mean. Um, but I, it's fine. It 
you know, like it's um, I'm trying to remember what card we've seen that was very similar to this. The um, the There's Whirler Virtuoso in Origins, sure, but the Whirler Virtuoso. I mean, this is obviously not that, um, but at its worst, Virtuoso was a two three that gave you a Thopter, and if you had no other energy, it was still a fine card to play. This is not quite there, but I mean, you know, in the right deck, this could be okay. I think this is a bread and butter blue common, and you're going to be happy to have as many as you can get, regardless of what your deck's doing. Mm-hmm. I think this is significantly better than that. I mean, it we're pretty happy with two and a blue for a two three in many cases. Like, I understand that was a particularly good stat line in Dominaria, and in some sets it wasn't. But here, like half of that power has flying. It's spread across two bodies, so it's going to be even better for blocking. Like, if you've got, you know, I don't know, one of those. Uh, if you've got a 3-2 and I play two of these, you're really unhappy about it because you can't attack into me and I'm hitting you for two every turn. Like, I, I get that's a dream scenario, but there are also some payoffs for having artifacts at Uncommon. Mm-hmm. We reviewed one of them and there's also a, a blue-white-gold one. I think this card's just good. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the fact that it has two toughness is really good too. Like, the, it opens up a lot of double-blocking scenarios. Um, yeah. And, and leaves this behind as your as your lone blocker after all the damage is done. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I uh, I rated it a little higher than I think I made it sound when I compared it to Whirler Virtuoso, <laughs> but um, mm, yeah, yeah. Don't don't sleep on the Thopter token for sure. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Dwindle is kind of our blue removal spell, and I think it's a pretty good one. It's two and a blue for an aura. Enchanted creature gets minus six minus O when it blocks. Destroy it. Yeah. So the upside of this compared to other things like it is that this thing only blocks once and it's gone so that means that if it has some kind of activated ability on it or something like that um you know and your opponent can't just sit there and block every single turn with a like an 04 wall now or something like that which i think is huge upside for a card like this i'm very happy that they they printed a card like this yeah i think it's 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 going to be your bread and butter blue removal spell and i'm pretty happy about it Mm -hmm. um essence scatter is in the set this is not blue removal but it is a serviceable two drop you're just looking to trade this with your opponent's two drop and then it's kind of fine to draw later so I, i've always liked essence scouter that that's the exception to my don't play counter spells in limited rule it's the blue doom blade <laughs> no it is not the blue doom blade <laughs> yes it but is. it's it's no it's not but it's it's still pretty good um we've also got exclusion mage two and a blue for a two two human wizard when it enters the battlefield return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand can we just call this woman of war Yes, we can. Okay, that is exactly gonna, what we're calling it. We're going to call it Woman of War. So, yeah, and it has the upside of not being forced to bounce itself if it's the only thing on the battlefield. Yeah, that never bothered me. But, I mean, it is what it is. I, I wish they'd just reprinted Man of War, but I see why they didn't. It would get new players to no end. Yeah, it would. It would, and they'd be unhappy about it. But, like, this this card's just good. Like, we've already said there's an Aorus sub-theme here. Uh, and this is a solid answer to that. And if you haven't gotten the opportunity to play with a, a three-mana bounce creature before, uh, give this one a try. You're going to like it. Yeah, absolutely. This this is, I think, the early frontrunner for me for best creature that's not at rare or mythic rare in the set. Yeah, I'm very excited to play with this. Yep. Uh, we've got Horizon Scholar, five and a blue for a 4-4 flyer when it enters the battlefield scry two. Cloud Reader Sphinx. It's not as good as Cloud Reader Sphinx. Which is funny because the six mana is what gets it, right? So Yeah. The, and and you've, you've said it before. You, you said it on uh, the, your set review today. But like the difference between five and six mana could be 
three four turns sometimes which is mm-hmm. which is important but this is still a very good card Oh yeah, for sure. It, it, this is what I want as my curve topper. Usually what you're doing, like most of your decks don't really need more than six mana. So that by the time you can cast this, you can bottom some lands and get a little bit of virtual card advantage that way. Yeah, scry two that late in the game is pretty close to drawing a card. Agree. Yeah. Speaking of scry two, Omen Speaker is back. One in a blue for a one three scry two. Again, Scrying 2 is pretty close to drawing a card uh, that early, potentially. So um, the best part about this card is that it costs 2 mana. Yeah, one of the things I liked about Omen Speaker in Theros, and uh, again, Bestow was there, so like this was a platform to build your battleship off of, and we don't have that now, so I know it's going to be a little worse than it was in Theros. That said, you know, I'm going to keep just about every 2-lander and hope I get there. If I have a 2-lander with Omen Speaker, I'm going to get there. Right, because I've got I can bottom two cards if they're not lands, and then later in the game, this one's still not quite dead because it gives me a body that can be relevant for double blocks. And like if I've got six mana when I cast this, I can bottom a land or two and be pretty, pretty happy about that. That I'm going to find action. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, this the scry too is just an amazing ability, and I'm glad that we got a couple of cards with the scry, uh, scry mechanic on it. Scry has not been evergreen for that long, for people that um. Or has it? No, I guess it hasn't really been evergreen for that long, has it? Yeah, not not super long. Yeah, so um, cards like this, I'm glad they're printing in every single set now because it just it makes your deck so much more consistent, lessens the variance uh, when it comes to flooding or potentially being mana screwed. So I'm very glad that this card exists. Yeah, cheap scry cards are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if this card's going to be good or not, and I, I kind of wanted your take on this too. I, I think it will be, but we'll see. Uh, Salvager of Secrets, 3 blue blue for a 2-2 Merfolk. When it enters the battlefield, return target instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. So I think people that play Dominaria are going to say it's, you know, G2 Chronicler for one mana less. Which it's not. And I'm going to tell you that it's not. And the reason is, is because you can't cast this on turn two to block your opponent's 2-2. Yeah. That's the biggest difference. So, but that being said, if you have, let's say you're playing blue-black and you have Murder or two murders in your deck, then this is a third copy of murder, which I think is great. It, it I think it very heavily depends on the quality of your instants and sorceries. If your instants and sorceries are like, you know, you have a divination and a counter spell and a, a lightning strike and maybe some other sorcery speed removal or something like that, probably not the best. Um, but if you're playing blue red spells, I think this goes up in value quite a bit. So I have it like, I gave it like a middling grade when I was doing my own kind of personal set review. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to move on it if 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 uh, if I have a deck that either wants it or if the format is slow enough that I'm going to get some value out of this card. Yeah, the slow is the question for me because we had our Chaomancer in the past for one mana less with a worse stat line. And it was good, but that format happened to be quite slow. So, like, if this is super fast and we just re- really can't afford five drops that aren't doing something huge, because usually what happens is you cast this on turn five and then you're setting up to replay the spell next turn. So you, you're kind of taking a, a big turn off and only putting a grizzly bear on the board. If we can afford to do that, this card I think will be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I think it remains to be seen. But, I mean, I'm certainly going to experiment with it. And if, if you know, like I said, if I have two murders in my deck, then this is just a third murder and I'll be pretty happy with that. Agree. Uh, we've got Sleep making a return, which is an incredibly powerful effect. 
Uh, two blue blue for a sorcery. Tap all creatures target player controls. They don't untap during that player's next untap step. Yeah, so I don't think I've played with this this on a like a on this specific card before. So like being able to tap your opponent's yep. entire opponent's board down on a, a sorcery speed. But playing with uh, it staple to a creature in Ixalan block. Uh, what was the card called? It was a Merfolk card. Um, obviously, this is better because this lasts for an entire extra turn. But you could just set up board states where you just win the game if you top deck that card uh, for four mana. This is it's kind not of like, hard to set that up. I was going to say this. This because it lasts two turns. It's much easier like to to set that up. So as long as you have like six to eight damage on board, cast this swing for six to eight. Your opponent maybe plays one blocker. You swing for four to six, and hopefully they're dead. That's that's kind of what you're looking at doing. It's even okay if you're behind because you buy two turns at the cost. It's almost like you're time walking. You buy two turns at the cost of one card. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of miserable to cast when you're behind if you're using it defensively. But if you have any kind of board, you still get in at least an attack with it. Mm -hmm. But the the dream is obviously like this just breaks open a board stall. So it it can take a game where nobody's winning to you just win it on the spot. And I'm not one to typically like tempo cards that much. But this is so much tempo for one card uh, that I'm going to take this one quite often. Okay. I mentioned it before, but Snapping Drake is here. I compare a lot of cards to Snapping Drake, and it's because this is just a really good stat line. Even for a really old card, I'm happy to see it. Three and a blue for a 3-2 flyer. I liked Avon Wind Mage in, or Wind Guide in um, Dominaria in previous sets. So, Yeah, this this is that, and it's going to be good. It's going to be good. We got uh, Switcheroo, four and a blue, exchange control of two target creatures. This is sort of a mind control effect. Uh, just be aware you don't I've seen people <laughs> I've seen people play a couple bad creatures in their deck when they have a switcheroo and they're like this is here so I can use it with the switcheroo you don't, you don't have to do that man if you're taking your worst creature and trading it for their best creature that's going to be a good deal for you regardless of what else is going on so like this card is good it is certainly worth, worth putting in all of your blue decks provided you have any creatures at all in them uh, but don't go out of your way to try to maximize it. You're just kind of hurting yourself that way. Yep. I had a little argument with Ian about the last card I wanted to mention, which is Wall of Mist. Uh, one in a blue for an 05 Defender. You sell me on this one. Okay. So what did White want to do? Attack. What is? We hadn't been there yet, but what do you think Red wants to do? No, also attack. What do you think Green wants to do? Smash face. With a lot of four power creatures. Mm-hmm. And Black is the one where this isn't particularly great against them, but they're still trying to get you with some zombies. This blocks all of that and then gives me time to kill you with my snapping drakes. So I think, generally speaking, what I want to do with my two drops is just trade it for your two drop. Now, this one has the downside of it's not trading with anything. So if you have a pair of tutus, you can just attack into it happily. But this one is almost a removal spell that upgrades as the game goes. Because if you play a tutu and I play this, I can block it. Later in the game, you play a 4-5. Well, I'll just block that and take the 2. So I I think there's a lot of power in this card. I'm not first picking it. But once I'm in blue, I'm probably going to pick up a couple of these and make that my ground defense while I kill you in the air. Yeah, I think it goes in a very specific deck. You need to be trying to get to your win con which is a late game win con 
Or, or there's a Windrake variant and Snapping Drake. It can just be those. Well, but that's also kind of a late game too, right? I mean, like, flying over for two a turn is a long clock, potentially, or three a turn could be a long clock. And you do have to get there, and you're not blocking with your Windrakes or your Snapping Drakes or whatever they are, right? So, yeah. So that, and that's where this plays in. You're not playing this in, like, a blue-white token deck. You're not playing this no. in, like, a, like a blue-red spells deck. Well, I'm probably not playing that in a blue-red spells not. deck. Probably not, yeah. Right? If you're playing a blue something mill deck or control deck, you're certainly playing these things. So there's a, there's a few decks that this goes in. I can see that, but I don't think I rate it high enough to worry about ever picking it above any playable card because I think I'll get them on the wheel for the most part. I mean, I feel like if I go, you know, blue bomb, wind drake, snapping drake, snapping drake, and then I see a pretty good white card and a pretty good black card in this. I might just take this and then figure out what's open later. But I again, I may be crazy. Yeah, I think it depends on what those good blue cards or black and white cards are. But um, I mean, yeah, I don't think you're wrong. So just if you're beating down on the ground, just play another ground beater. Don't play this, I think. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Blues? Did I miss any that you wanted to hit? No, I don't think so. No, I think we got them all. So pretty happy about okay. that. Yeah. Um, Just motor right on through to black. Yeah, you were saying blue looks blue, I think, and it, it really feels that way to me. You've got some yeah. card draw, you've got some evasive, you know, some flyers and some some blockers on the ground. I dig it. Pretty typical. I'm I'm very glad that we don't have, like, a, a claustrophobia effect anymore. Um, I'm glad that we have the one that destroys when the creature blocks instead. So I'm, I'm glad that we got a different removal suite for blue this time around. Yeah, and it's easier to cast. The double mm-hmm. blue on claustrophobia was always an issue. Mm-hmm. All right, up first for me in black is Child of Night, one in a black for a two-one lifelink. Meh. Meh? No, I think it. I think this plays well in your life gain style deck. Um, I think, especially on the play, I think this card goes up in value if your opponent is caught stumbling at all. Yeah, I, I've thought that too in all of the core sets that have come out that had life gain as a theme, and it was just kind of whatever. It, it's generic to drop. Like it, it's certainly not bad if you can connect with it a couple times. It's neat, and you will combo it with an Ajani's Pride Mate every once in a while. But it's so easy to kill that if your opponent wants it dead, it'll be dead. Mm-hmm. Like right. it, it, absolutely, it's, it, it's better than a Piker, but it, it's not blowing my mind. That's fair. I think you play a lot of these though, just be for curve purposes. Yeah, you're going to need two drops, and there's not super great options in black. But like, if if my two drops are this and one grizzly bear, and you know, an O four wall, I think I'm ha- fine with that. Mm-hmm. A card here, I'm not really sure. I think it'll take me some time to play um, before I know if this card is any good. But the uh, the Epicure of Blood, four and a black for four four. Whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. I think this is going to be okay on the stat line. I think you're pretty happy with a five mana four, four. Mm-hmm. I also think, again, there's enough incidental life gain that this, this is probably a four man, uh, five, excuse me, a five mana four, four that's going to deal three to, to four points of damage to your opponent just by sitting there over the course of a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I think I like this card. I don't think I'll rate it particularly highly, but when I'm in the market for five drops and I see this seventh pick, come on in. Yeah, like if you're in like the black white life gain deck and you've already got a bunch of that all on like in your deck and your pack three, I think these goes up go up in value as like giving you some reach. Now the downside is, is that your opponent's likely gaining life too, because you know, a good percentage of your opponents are gonna be playing black and white with their own incidental life gain. So this might just turn out to not be 
enough to make a difference i think it'll we'll have to see how the the games kind of play out but i'm gonna keep my eye on this card i think sure are you interested in fell specter at all i want to be i'm not quite yeah i'm in the same boat and i think a lot of people are going to to play this card and expect it to do more um but i don't think it will so fell specter is three and a black for a flying one three when it enters the battlefield, target opponent discards a card, and whenever an opponent discards a card, that player loses two life. Like, it's a 1-3. Yeah, I feel like if this was even a 2-2, two, two, I'd be mm-hmm. a little more happy about it. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we are getting a nug for two when we play it. They are discarding a card. It's a two-for-one, and the body's evasive. It's just super unimpressive. Um, it's not a format where we've got a lot of 2-1 flyers or things that it can block. I feel like if it was a mana cheaper and on the ground, I might be interested in it. It's just it's just one box off for me. That said, I'm still going to play this. I just don't think it's amazing. No, right? I, don't I, think, I don't think I'm ever going to pick it highly enough to see them is my problem. I, I'll have a sealed deck somewhere that has one or two in it. For sure. I think it, I, yeah, for sure. But if, I, if I'm in, in, a, in a draft pack, you know, there's a lot of cards that I take higher than this in black. So, yeah. Uh, like, for example, maybe Gravedigger. Three and a yeah. black. Three and a black for two two. He's back. Zombie. When Gravedigger enters the battlefield, you may return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. You know, I didn't notice in the artwork that this guy's wearing sandals. And I, I now I can never unsee that. They're not <laughs> they're not really sandals. They're like things that are strapped to his feet, but they look like sandals. They look like Birkenstocks. Yeah, I think that's probably what they are. Yeah. But I'm yeah, the- I'm in on this card. Yeah, since it's been printed, it's just been a solid value card. This is a very old card. I've played with this in limited formats for 20 years, and every format that it's been in, it's been good in. Uh, So you're overpaying a little bit, but you get a dude out, you you know, your best dead creature back out of the graveyard. Uh, So this this is a solid card. Yeah, and if you can end up with like a zombie lord or something like that at rare, this this is going to be your bread and butter in that deck. For sure, but it, like you, it gets better, but you don't you don't need it to. You just need no. to put this in your your deck with swamps. I have splashed for these before. Really? Oh yeah. Now that that's been a long time ago when the power level of cards was significantly lower at, at like common and uncommon. Um, although some of them have flirted around, like this used to be a common, but I have certainly splashed for grave diggers. Okay. Okay. I, I love the card. I don't remember when I first played it, but I've been in love with it ever since I played it in limited. So. Yeah. Uh, the best thing I've ever done is been able to loop two of them to block infinitely on the ground while I killed my opponent with flyers. Perfect. So it's a strictly better wall of mist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, next up for me is a uh, black removal, Lich's Caress. Three black black for destroy target creature. You gain three life. It's sorcery speed. It's kind of like Sip of Hemlock, if you remember that card. Yeah. Um, one cheaper. Eh, it's It's fine removal. You're going to play like one of these probably if you have to. Um, but, um, you know, there's better removal in the set. Yeah, but at common, we're not necessarily going to get it. it mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I don't think this set has as many, I have to kill it right now bombs as what we're used to in Dominaria, but I think I'm pretty happy to have one of these in my deck just in case my opponent assembles the wombo combo of, you know, creature plus enchantment, or they happen to have one of the legitimate bombs in the set from rares or mythics. And I'm like, I, I need that thing dead. This, this will do that. Just... You know, if you possibly can, try not to fire it off on something that costs less because uh, you, you you can get tempoed out that way. Yeah, I love the life gain on this card. 
Yeah, that's pretty neat because like, if you're playing a five mana removal spell, you're going to need to gain some life back. Exactly. You're not building up your board. You probably took some damage already from their bomb. So pretty happy yeah. to put that part. But I would much rather just play murder. Yeah. Travis loves murder. One black black for an instant. Destroy target creature. It's not work if you enjoy it. <laughs> um, is this the best removals at, at uncommon or common? I mean, it's it's very similar to Luminous Bonds, and it's a little harder to splash than Luminous Bonds, which, in my opinion, actually makes it a little bit better, because it means if you're the black drafter in pack three and your neighbor's not black, they're passing you this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, the card's very good. In- instant speed being a huge deal. They go that, for a combat trick or something like that, and, and yep. you can really get them. Yeah, that's that's the big deal. Don't be afraid to fire this off at sorcery speed if we have to send you back to listen to the Fire It Off episode about removal. Um, but you can do a lot of things with this one. Hold up Counterspell and cast this instead. Like, there's a bunch of things you can do, so. Yeah, it's a good card. Um, what else is in here for me? Plague Mare. Yeah. One black black for the, the horse in, in the, the black horse in this cycle for a 2-2 Nightmare Horse. Can't be blocked by white creatures. And when it enters the battlefield, target creatures, or creatures your opponent's control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. There are some number of x ones in the set uh, as well as thopter tokens so this could get some number of creatures some percentage of the time i'm pretty happy with that if i can get some creatures out of it yeah it, it can enable attacks that you didn't suspect that you know that your opponent didn't suspect that you had similar to the way the griffin pumps your team minusing their team you're not dealing as much damage but you may get in some damage you shouldn't have otherwise and you can also do it after blocks if there's something that, you know, you have to kill. You'll be surprised when you go for that line where you just swing a 3-3 into their 4-4, how often people just don't block. You'd yeah, be like, wow, I don't even have to do it. I'll just cast this other thing. This is this is one of the perfect bluff cards for that scenario because you're happy if they do and you're happy if they don't in that mm-hmm. scenario. So, um, yeah, it's pretty sweet. The 2-2 the body kind of sucks um, and it's hard to cast, but I don't think you're you're probably not necessarily casting this on turn three every single time. There'll be board yeah. states where you want to, but you probably want to try to get a little more value out of it than, than just uh, either no value or a little bit of value. Yeah, agree. Um, Ravenous Harpy is a card that I'm interested in seeing how well it plays. Normally we look at a one-two flyer for three and say, yeah, um, but this is kind of indicating to us that there's a, a black-red sacrifice sub-theme here. So it's... a uh, Tuna black for a 1-2 flyer with the ability for one mana and sacrifice another creature. Put a plus one, plus one counter on Ravenous Harpy. You can do that at instant speed. So uh, there's active treason in the set. Um, but also there's cards like Doom Descent or uh, Doom Dissenter, uh, who I'm going to nickname uh, Supreme Court Minority Judge going forward, I think. <laughs> and uh, that's for my political friends out there. Um, but there's also reassembling skeleton, which you can kind of sacrifice and get back. You can sacrifice things that have, you know, uh, luminous bonds on them. I think this card could be good in the right deck, but I don't think it goes in every single deck. I think it's close to every single deck. Like the, the other thing you can do with it, in addition to everything you've mentioned is when they go to kill one of your other creatures with a removal spell, sacrifice it. And all of a sudden you've got this at a reasonable body. It only needs you to use it once for you to be pretty happy with what you've gotten out of it. So all of those combos, plus they go to kill your guy. Okay, gotcha. Um, I, I I think turns this into pretty good. There's also like two of the colors, their best removal spells were enchantments. 
right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if, if this has the claust- dw- dwindle? dwindle, dwindle, I think, yeah, d- dwindle or luminous bonds, you're pretty happy with that. So, I, I think this is probably just okay to put in your black deck, and I think it gets better with all of those other combos. Like, I'm not super excited about it without the combos, but I think you can play it, and then I think with one or two combos in the deck, it's actively good. I think it's probably a uh, removal magnet as well. Yeah, it could be. Right, unless you're tapped out and then your opponent can kill your big thing. They're just going to have to kill this thing first, which is good because it's not a threatening creature necessarily on its own without a lot of work. So if they're using removal on it, I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, there's also the argument of like late game, what is your grizzly bear doing anyway? Just eat it, yeah. You could break yeah. open, not break open a board stall, but you could start plucking, you know, plucking creatures off your board and swinging in for extra damage in the air yeah yeah okay um skeleton archer are you interested in skeleton archer i'm not like crazy interested but i think it's pretty good i think it's along the same lines as uh, the plague mare to be honest uh so three and a black for a three three skeleton archer um which is the same as its name when Skeleton Archer enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to any target. So, whereas Plague Mare is minusing the entire board, this thing is picking off one single creature. I think the cases in which they both do the same thing, I think is going to be quite common. Um, yeah. Right? Like, your Plague Mare is probably not usually getting more than one creature, although you'd like to have that possibility. Um, and Skeleton Archer has the upside of just being a 3-3. Three, three. It can also deal one to your opponent, like mm-hmm. which is going to come up every now and then. Yeah, so it's got a little bit of reach. Um, even though it doesn't actually have reach, I'd be pretty. Ha- I think this is a pretty interesting common. Um, it'll be annoying enough that you might not get to play your X ones. Like you might side out your your Oresco's Swift Claw and cards like that. Yeah, th- when I looked at this earlier, it looks like all of the X one hate is specifically in black. Mm-hmm. So like you you may be in scenarios where you're like my opponent's playing black. I'm going to take out my three X ones and put in slightly worse creatures just so I don't get wrecked by that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't think this guy's amazing, but it, it sets up the same thing you could do with the Plague Mirror. Attack a 3-3 into a 4-4 um, and, you know, s- see what happens. Sometimes they take it. If they don't and they call your bluff, cool, your guy's dead. I've still got a 3-3. Yeah, exactly. Um, two more for me. Sky March Bloodletter. We saw this in uh, Ixalan Block. Tuna Black for a 2-2 Flyer. When it comes into the battlefield, you drain your opponent for one and you gain one life. More incidental life gain, which is good if you're playing the white-black life gain deck. This is best friends with the Johnny Pride mate. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a Windrake at, at the floor, so like it's it's pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Vampire Sovereign is a card I'm interested to see how it plays. Three black black for a 3-4 flyer, which is a pretty decent stat line in black. Um, and when it enters the battlefield, target opponent loses three life and you gain three life. So that's a pretty big life swing uh, on a body that you're not afraid to block with and also can just end the game um, because of the three power in the air. So I'm, I'm this checks a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, I think this is actively just good. Yeah. I, I also think it's worth calling out Strangling Spores. Okay. Because I think this is the removal we get. We're not going to get murder all the time. and We get three in a black for an instant. Minus three, minus three until end of turn to target creature. I think this is the removal spell that you're going to be playing two copies of in most of your black decks. And, and pretty happy about it. Interesting. Okay, I kind of slept on it a little bit because we had the murder and the unconditional removal at five mana, but I guess you need a stopgap between those two things, right? If you don't get any murders and you can't get to five mana, you're going to need something that does something. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And this just, kills most of the format. It's not great, but we're going to need this. Yeah, I was comparing it to Vicious Offering, which is no comparison at all, obviously. So I think that's where yeah. I, I was sleeping on it. So that's good that you mentioned it and brought it back up. Yeah. Um, I love the life gain. I love the drain. Um, I like the removal. Uh, there's a lot of good things going on in black. I don't think it's my favorite color so far, but um, I wouldn't be have, uh, sad to draft black, I think. Yeah, same. Uh, it, it started a little slow, but we got into some cards I really liked. And there's some powerful stuff here, too, in some of the rares in Mythic. So I, I, it looks like a good, solid choice to me. Okay. Uh, let's keep on trucking. Let's go through that red. All right. You already mentioned Active Treasons in the set. It's worth remembering that it's here. It's two and a red. Untapped target creature. Gain control of it. It gains haste, so you steal one of your opponent's dudes. You can be cute and sacrifice it in your black deck, or you can just grab their dude and hit them for a bunch of damage. The card's usually pretty bad if that's what you're doing, although I've had some decks that I wanted to play it. It's the sacrifice combos that make it neat. Um, I wanted to mention in the uh, common slot, Boggart Brute. Two and a red for a 3-2 menace. Yeah, I hope you didn't like blocking. Yeah, because you're not doing it. And when you do, I've probably got a combat trick for you, so have fun with that. Uh, this is a reprint. We saw it in Origins, which is a very aggressive set, and this was one of the reasons why it was a very aggressive set. Uh, we've also seen this more recently in Amonkhet as a black card, and it was just good there, even though it had some additional zombie synergy. Uh, but like this card's difficult to block, and if you can punish your opponent for blocking with combat tricks or... Like removal doesn't work quite as well with this one unless you're just going to kill the thing and hit them for three. It's a pretty quick clock. I hate that they put menace on three drops. Yeah, like it's like menace on a one drop. We saw that in the stronghold confessor in the last set was fine because it was it was a one one. Um, and on at four mana, you've, you're usually in a pretty good spot that you can double block it or have a piece of removal for it. But if you're on the draw and your opponent sticks this on turn three and you're like, well, like I'm going to play a three, three, and then he's going to hit me for three and play something bigger. And then what am I going to do? Double block this thing? Like it's pretty risky. So, um, yeah, it, it just makes a lot, makes for a lot of bad decisions that you're kind of feel forced into, but whatever, whatever. That's why you draft shock. That's why you draft removal spells. Yeah. Again, you're going to need them and don't be afraid to use them on that guy. Mm-hmm. Next up for me was Electrify. Uh, three and a red. Instant, four damage to target creature. It's a solid rate. I think it's going to kill most of what you need dead. Yeah, uh, the instant speed is also up there too. Like, it's not murder, but 70% of the time it's probably murder. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think that's probably good enough. I wanted to mention Fiery Finish because I've seen a lot of people like give this card some grief. I mean, it kind of is what it is. It, it, it's not great, but I think we'd still play it sometimes. Four red red, sorcery, seven damage to target creature. Like, a lot of people were like, you know, meh. I was like, this is kind of just six mana kill the thing. And sometimes you're going to need that. So I wouldn't take this highly or be super excited about it, but the the card's not stone unplayable. It's basically Red's unconditional removal spell. Yeah, which Red doesn't often get. Mm -hmm. So just having that is kind of a big deal for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're we're okay with it in black at five and six mana. Why can't we be okay with it at red at five and six mana? Like you said, it's hey. not great. Sometimes you need it. Yeah. Um, a common here that I'm I, I think is telling us a little bit about what red might want to do is goblin instigator. It's one in a red for a one one when it enters the battlefield, create a one one. Yeah, so basically Doom Descender in red. Um, there is a bit of a goblin 
sub-theme, but this also fits into a sacrifice sub-theme as well. So if there's enough support for that, you get two sacrifices out of this card um, for just two mana, which is pretty good. This and the Harpy would be best friends. Mm -hmm. Not to mention we've seen a go-wide strategy in white, and it also plays nicely with that. So it kind of looks like this is just going to pair up with anything, uh, as well as just being solid on its own. It's functionally a grizzly bear. Uh, a little clue to what we might want to be doing in red-blue, I think, is gutter snipe. Uh, this is two in a red for a 2-2. Two -two. When you cast an instant or sorcery, it deals two damage to each opponent. I love me some gutter snipe, but most of the times I've drafted it, it's been in like uh, a supplemental set, so not a, not necessarily a, a core set or something like that, but I've drafted it in um, Conspiracy, and I want to say like somebody's cube I've drafted it in before. If you have a critical mass, this card can get out of control. A critical mass of spells, I mean. This card can get out of control fast. And if you draft these in multiples in that Spells Matter deck, it's kind of like, look out. Your opponent can be dead fairly quickly. Yeah. And th the neat part is not every red player wants it. So if you're going for that blue-red Spells deck specifically, you can usually find it. Mm -hmm. I have to mention Havoc Devils because Borderland Minotaur is one of my favorite magic cards. And this is just an upgraded one. It's two red red for a four three trample. Yeah, it does the same thing with the upside of getting through an extra point of damage every once in a while. Yeah, I, th I think that card's just going to be a solid role player in your red decks. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave mentioned it earlier, but uh, Lightning Strike is back. Uh, one in a red for an instant three damage to any target. Kapow! Um, bread and butter removal in red. Yep. Yep. Uh, we've also got Shock, uh, which is one for an instant two damage to any target. Like, the last time we saw Shock, uh, it was actually kind of bad in Kaladesh because it just didn't kill enough stuff. I think after looking through here, it's going to kill enough stuff that I'm interested in it. Yeah, I want to run the numbers on that to see how many things it kills. Um, but there's a lot of X2s that I've seen so far. Shock is interesting to me because it varies so wildly set to set. And we've talked about this before when we do other set reviews about how good Shock is. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm always taking lightning strike over it though um, yeah but there's probably a place to have one or two shocks in your deck in this format agree okay i think spark tongue dragon is worth a mention just because it's something that red doesn't normally get uh, it's three red red for a three three flyer and it has kicker of two and red uh when you do it deals three damage to any target the body is a little bit sad um and the triple red on the quote kicker um is harder to cast but if you can get there if you're heavy red i'm pretty happy to play this card yeah and I, I, just getting a three three flyer in red like i mean if this was two red red for a three three flyer we'd be like wow that's pretty good so you are overpaying one uh but there's not like amazing five drops rolling all over the place and just giving red something evasive i, I think i'm pretty happy with uh there's also a few little dragon shenanigans going on but I, I think i'm pretty happy with that card not nuts but pretty happy with it yeah that's fair that's fair uh trumpet blast is in the set two and a red instant attacking creatures get plus two plus oh until end of turn so like that's the thing as we're going through um don't cast looking it at your the go wide strategy turn. yeah don't, don't do that don't <laughs> cast it on your opponent's turn don't cast it before combat cast it after you've declared attackers um yeah, it's go wide. It's fine. I th I'd rather inspired charge, probably in my, in most of the decks, unless I'm so low to the like my curve is so low that I don't have room for a four drop instant speed spell. They're the same card, like yeah, basically. When you resolve either of these, it's because you're winning the game. It's a true story. 
And then I thought Volley Veterans probably worth a mention. At 3 in red for a 4-2, when it enters the battlefield, it deals damage to target creature and opponent controls equal to the number of goblins you control. Like, two of the commons I mentioned that I'm interested in happen to be goblins. Uh, and on its own, it'll at least pick off an X1. I don't think it's unreasonable to think you can get a free shock out of this relatively often. Reminds me of the wizard in uh, Dominaria, the five drop. Yeah, but this one's a better stat line. I mean, you're functionally the same stat line and a mana cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, that was a good card if you had the wizards. So, yeah, and this one, and the wizards weren't good other than that one and a few others. Whereas the goblins that we have, I don't, I'm not playing them because they're goblins. I'm playing them because they're good. Yeah, exactly. All right. Red looks, has good removal, it seems. Not not great removal, but good removal. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the dragons play out. There's some big beefy dragons in, in red here. We don't normally see that. Like usually you get your one token dragon in red at rare. And we've got some good flyers in red in this set. So yeah, I think plummet may actually be main deckable. That's interesting because it's back. So um, should we carry on into green? Yeah, lead the way, sir. All right. First up for me, I think, is Colossal Majesty, unless you want to talk about any of the cards before it. Uh, No, they're vanilla creatures, but I mean, they're good ones. Okay. Colossal Majesty, two and a green for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control a creature with power four or greater, draw a card. Travis, is this trap or no trap? Uh, not a trap, but it is a little bit of a build around. Okay. I agree with you. So um, luckily in green, <laughs> there are a lot of creatures that are four power or greater. Um, so you should be able to make this happen. How many cards need to draw off this before you're happy? Is it just two? Is it like green divination? Yeah, if I can get two cards off of it, I'm pretty thrilled. Okay. I'm, I'd be pretty happy with that too. So your mileage will vary. Um, plays very well in a ramp style strategy, obviously, because... You can ramp out your big things and then stick this later um, when your board is full and you're kind of, you know, stabilized, I guess. And it might just take over the game in a board stall. I think it's going to be best in red green as Mm -hmm. there was that that was the preponderance of four power creatures. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Let's see here. What about declare dominance? Is this a card you're interested in? Alert style effects are kind of polarizing. I'm not really sure where I come down on this one yet, so I wanted your take on it. So it's three green green for a sorcery. Target creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn. All creatures able to block it do so. Um, This is either a finisher or force your opponent opponent to block with things they didn't want to block with and uh, maybe two for one or two for two them. What's your take on a card like this? I'm going to pick this really highly. Okay. Um, Because it's kind of along the same lines as a sleep, right? It's like almost like the green sleep. Yeah, I mean, you're getting an attack that they didn't expect because if if everything that that can block my 3-3 that just turned into a 6-6 can, that means everything else isn't getting blocked. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting in a pretty big hit with all of these four-power creatures that I have and Colossal Dreadmaws or whatever, and I'm probably edicting them. The dream is they have a giant board, and I cast this on the 2-2 Death Touch, and I'm like, okay, these two cards trade for your five cards, and you take ten. Like, that's not even an absurd scenario to set up in a board stall, but it's here to serve a very specific purpose, which is to to break a board stall. And I think it does that well. Yeah, I I agree with you there. So that's where I was looking at it. It reminds me of the green-black split card in Amonkhet. Target creature gets death touch and indestructible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everything must block it. Yeah. And uh, you could do some 
Or was it just indestructible? I don't remember if it got death touch as well, but if you put it, it was on indestructible for one in a black and then lure for two in a green. Right. And you put that on a death toucher and it's like your opponents just scoops it up because you just raft them. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. The five mana is tough, um, but this will just win games out of nowhere. It's going to make you curse and flip your table at times when your opponent casts it because you'll be finally stabilized at 10 life and your opponent will all of a sudden swing for 10 and wipe your board. And you're like, great, I lose on both both sides of that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Druid of the Cowl is back if you're interested in wrapping. One in a green for a 1-3 uh, that taps for green. This is the elf that we get in this set. So... You're, you're kind of stuck with it if you want to ramp, which is fine, but it's no Llanowar Elves. You're right. It, this is significantly better than Llanowar Elves <laughs> and Dominaria it because it can block. And Dominaria, th- there were two camps. Ethan was in one. I was in the other. So we had this discussion today. What it came down to is he's picking Llanowar Elves a lot earlier than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't value them as highly. Whereas this, I'm I'm actually very interested in. This is the ramp card I want. I don't really care about skipping from two to three. I do care about skipping from, you know, three to four or four to five because the five drops are where it's at. The fours and fives in green. Uh, and the fact that this can also block a two drop uh, in the meantime. And you, you like we've already seen a bunch of X ones that we're interested in. I think this card's actually actively quite good. And I think it's better than Llanowar Elf. Interesting. If, if this was in a pack with Llanowar Elf, I would snap take this over it. That is interesting to me. I'm not going to get into that debate. I didn't draft Llanowar Elves enough to know for sure. One card that I'm taking higher than Druid of the Cowl, though, I think, and it fits the same slot on the curve anyway, is Dryad Greenseeker, which is one and a green for a 1-3 uh, at Uncommon, and it has the ability to tap, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. Yeah, I think that's pretty good for the same reasons. It It can block. Instead of ramping you, it basically says, you know, draw a card every other turn. That's yeah. pretty cool for a two drop, man. I just wanted to blank my opponent's two drop, and it's it's gonna you know block a grizzly bear, scare the heck out of a child of night, and trade for a three one if it has to. And if it doesn't, it'll just sit there and kind of slowly accumulate me some value. So I I, I think I like this card a lot. This kind of reminds me of Omen Speaker. It's like the green yeah. Omen Speaker. Yeah, it is. Right, and and if you keep a, a two land hand with a green source in this, you're pretty happy that you're gonna get there. You might not get there as fast as you would with Omen Speaker, but you're probably gonna get there. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. So, um, almost like explore. So I'm, I'm I'm pretty happy to draft this, um, and I'm looking forward to to playing this one for sure. Me too. A card I'm not so sure I'm happy to play with is Elvish Rejuvenator, um, and this is another one I wanted your take on. I missed the set review earlier today when you guys are doing green. I think two to green for a one one. When it enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. Put a land onto the battlefield tapped. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I think you hit enough times that this is good enough, mm-hmm. but I haven't quite done the math on it yet. It, I mean, about one out of every three cards should be land. So you, you, I think you're going to hit most of the time that you play this. Mm-hmm. It will occasionally happen where you don't and it'll suck. I think I'd rather have Druid of the Cowl. Mm-hmm. It, it was pointed out, somebody said this is pretty good fixing, that it's not really fixing unless the specific land you're looking for happens to be in the top five. Now, that'll get you pretty close. Um, I think I'd rather have the Druid of the Cowl because they're kind of doing the same thing. But if I'm looking to ramp and I didn't get a Druid of the Cowl, well, this will probably fill that role. So it's nice that there's a redundant piece of ramp in green. 
again, the one one body isn't doing a whole lot here, but the fact that the mana production isn't tied to the body means I don't mind chump blocking with this, putting it together for a double block, like getting two for one to get rid of a three three, you know, with a grizzly bear that's laying around. That, that that's fine. So I, I think I'm taking Druid of the Cowl first, and then if I need a second ramp spell and don't have one, come on in, Elvis. I think just I just think there's better things to do at the three mana spot. Like you could play um Gift of Paradise. Is that the one that I'm thinking of, right? Is that in this we, set? It is, but it's an uncommon here. Yeah. So like, I don't know. The if I need the ramp me. and I don't have it, you're right. It's not a good body. But I think you're just playing this for the three mana effect, and then it happens to leave behind a 1-1. One, one. Yeah, that, that's fair. I, why couldn't we just have, like, what was it, Wood Elves? Wood Elves would have been so good. So much better, right? Like, guaranteed to hit your land. Yeah, I don't know. Or what was the two? The, there's a three mana 2-2 two, two that did a similar effect. Was that Wood Elves, or was that um, was Wood Elves so, the 1-1? One, one? There's no, so it many. was from Avis... Avison restored. It, it, you put the land in your hand with that one, I think. Which um, which is fine too. It doesn't ramp you, but at least you're guaranteed to hit it. And it was a two drop. Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. It'll be fine, I'm sure. Um, but I, I think there's better three drops for for green here for sure. I do too. I just think if you want to ramp and you're not so far, like put this in your deck. Yeah. Um, skipping over a bunch of the auras, but just be aware that there are a lot of auras in green. Um, that do the things that the auras do, pumping power and toughness. Uh, next card up for me, though, is Rabid Bite. We finally got our green removal back. Yeah. One it's... and a green for sorcery, sorry. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. A one-sided fight spell. Yeah, so it it, it it it's a bite, not a fight. It usually just kills the thing. And this is functionally... Like, the, the joke is the original printing of this was red, and it was called Fall of the Hammer. Uh, this picture's a human biting a werewolf with kind of weird-looking teeth. So I've always called this Fall of the Dentures. Um, I like it. So if you hear me say that on stream, this is the card I'm talking about. But yeah, this is your premium removal in green. It looks great. Yes, I agree. It'll make me very happy to play green whereas cards like ancient animus in the past have not made me excited to play green agree um i I think that's pretty close to it for me we've got titanic growth which is your combat trick vigilant baloth which is three green green for a five five vigilant that's kind of a big beefy beast i wish they'd called or given it trample instead and still called it vigilant baloth because i think that would have been hilarious or they could have called it trampling baloth i'd have been happy with that something that would have been funny um vine mare which is another horse in the cycle this has i think the early award for most annoying creature in the set of uh, two green green for a five three hex proof that can't be blocked by black creatures yeah that makes me sad yeah suit this up with your auras you do have to suit it up for it to actually do something though otherwise i'll just block it and be like whatever i mean combat tricks too right like this and titanic yeah. growth like if, if they got they got a double block this or something right you can you can do a lot of damage with this thing agree that's all i had for green unless i missed anything it's worth mentioning there's a fog like we've had a break from fog for a couple sets so like it, it's here but you know be aware of that keep it in your sideboard maybe sniff it out if your opponent's playing funny uh i've seen people win and lose games off of a fog mm-hmm. a little more expensive but it is there yeah okay that's it for me should we wrap it up with the multicolored and artifacts yeah and dim lands oh dim lands okay um let's let's do the gold cards first then okay uh i'm just going to run through and mention the ones that i was actively excited about 
Sure. Um, and, and kind of skip over the others. Like I think most of them are obvious. I actually had a little debate with Ethan about Draconic Disciple. So I wanted to mention that one here. Uh, this is one green red for a 2-2 human shaman. Tap, add one mana of any color. Seven tap, sacrifice it. Create a 5-5 red dragon creature token with flying. I love modal spells. Yeah, this is a modal spell. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is fixing. I think this is ramp. Agree. However, it, it also could be fixing if I happen to be playing green and red as my base colors and then yes. splashing, I don't know, something like uh, Elder Dragon. Yes, absolutely. But I think at its at its core, it's ramp and not fixing. Um, but I think the ability is huge upside. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is a dork you're happy drawing on turn 12 or turn 13 in a board stall. Yeah, and that, that was the thing for me is like it's a mana elf. I, I feel like I'm paying one more than I should. Like I could get this out of Druid of the Cowl with an arguably better stat line for one mana less because you, you're not really blocking anything with this early. And you may be in some situations where you just play this as your three drop and have to block. That's fine. It's, it still did an okay job. But if left alone, this will get me basically you know, straight to five mana, six mana relatively quickly so I can cast big stuff. And then when I've cast all the big stuff, I can functionally give it plus three, plus three and flying. That, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, I agree entirely. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I don't think I'm first picking this. Um, but if I'm in green or red already, it's a reason to go into the other color. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, Enigma Drake is our uncommon payoff for blue-red. It's one blue-red for a star four with flying. The star is the number of instants and sorcery cards in your graveyard. If you're playing blue-red spells, these guys are kind of your win con for the most part. Um, they block really well, and they attack really well in the mid to late game. Yeah, they're the reason to go into that color. Yeah, but you need a good number of instants, instants and sorceries. Like, if you're not playing eight... I think you're probably not interested in as much in the Enigma Drake. Yeah, and, and like 10 is kind of ideal. I agreed. Uh, this card, I think, may actually just be too good. Uh, Heroic Reinforcements is two white-red for sorcery. Create two one one white soldier creature tokens. Until end of turn, creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and haste. It's your finisher in your tokens deck. It's your finisher. It's your mid game getting a bunch of damage. I mean, it, it's just like between this and the uh, angel that pumps your team. Like, I don't think red white's going to have trouble killing you. No, that's a pretty good curve out too. Um, I don't think I'm as sold on it as you are. Um, but I also don't draft the red white aggressive style trumpet blast decks that often. So um, I look forward to seeing you draft this on stream instead. Well, the thing about it is, like, we've got Trumpet Blast and we've got um, whatever, the Inspired Charge. This is like a Trumpet Blast stapled to make two dudes. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's the part that's truly scary about it, is it, it pumps my entire team, and now there's a pair of Grizzly Bears for this turn attacking you that you didn't see coming. Uh, so I, I think this is just going to be quite strong. I, I'm okay with that. Um, I think I'm just looking at all the downside of it. Right. It obviously it's no good when you're behind, but neither is Trumpet Blast and Inspired Charge. So yeah. it kind of fits it fills that same role. You can't take too many of them. And if you make a bunch of night tokens, obviously this is an insane card. Yeah. Well just make sure you're playing it in a deck that's looking to not be behind. But you you're right, that that is a, a true fact about the heroic enforcements. Uh next up for me was Psionic Symbiont. Four blue black for a three three flyer. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent discards a card and you draw a card. 
Yeah, this is neat. Um, reminds me a little bit of Dinrova Horror. Obviously not nearly as good. Um, but you're getting some pretty good card advantage out of this, probably at the right time of the game. Like, if you can cast this on curve, you should be able to nab a good card out of your opponent's hand and drawing something to do on the next turn. I'm pretty interested to see how the, how this card plays. Yeah, and just leave behind a solid body at 3-3 flyer. It's pretty good for blue-black. Um, I liked Regal Bloodlord a good bit. Three black white for a two four flyer at the beginning of each instep. If you gained life, create a one one uh, bat creature token with flying. It's one of your payoffs for the life gain deck. So we didn't see a ton of payoffs for the life gain deck. This is one of them, um, but also the body's pretty decent on an, on its own. And if you can make one bat out of this, uh, five mana for a three five flyer, flyer is pretty good rate essentially. Um, and anything over one, I think you're getting extremely good value out of this card. Yeah, agree. Uh, and last one for me, the Skyrider Patrol. It's a little overcosted, but I really like this card. It's two green blue for a two three flyer. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may play pay blue green. When you do, put a plus one plus one counter on another target creature you control, and that creature gains flying until end of turn. I'm calling it now. I think this is going to be my favorite card in the set, like at at uncommon <laughs> or less. I really do. I think this card. When I was doing my own personal review, I think I gave this the highest uh, non-rare creature um, grading, like rating. I think I gave it as high as I've ever given any other creature. And um, it's not quite an A level, like it's not quite a bomb level. Um, but deciding between this and top level removal, I think is difficult for me to do. I think the removal still wins like a murder, but I'm going to first pick this out of a lot of packs. Yeah, it's just a strong card. Mm-hmm super consistent you've already got the mana to, to bounce your creatures on on later turns i'm okay you know playing a five drop and just hitting for two damage on turn five with this i'm also okay playing a three drop and then putting a plus one plus one counter on something on turn five like there's a lot of things you can do with this this gets better in multiples gets better with ramp pretty happy about this card yeah yeah agree um, any others you wanted to mention, or should we blaze into artifacts? No, let's blow through the artifacts here. Um, pretty disappointed with the artifacts as a whole, I think, or at least the uncommons and commons for the most part. Yeah, they don't look great, although there's there's a few that I think bear mentioning. Um, Fountain of Renewal was actually one of those for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's colorless for an artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, you gain one life. Three, sack it, draw a card. This is interesting if you're playing a life gain matters deck because that extra point of life could be important. If you're playing a Johnny's Pride Mates or you're playing the dude that makes bats, um, this could serve a purpose. And when you need to, you're just cycling it and drawing a card for four mana in installments. So I don't think it goes in a lot of decks, but I think it goes in the black-white life gain deck. There's a few nicely. blue decks that are also interested in having an artifact laying around, mm -hmm, and this mm -hmm. goes quite nicely in that as well. Yeah, but like... If I've got two Ajani's Pride Mates, and I'm picking this card up for sure. <laughs> yeah, for happening. sure. Uh, Ethan seemed to think Marauder's Axe was going to be pretty good. I was interested in your takes on this. Uh, it's two for an equipment, uh, plus two, plus O, oh, equip two. It's no Jousting Lance, but if all of the creatures are kind of like in that non-bomb level range, this turns your creatures into something that must be answered. Yeah. Right? Um, plays well with tokens. I think it probably goes best in the like a, a white something deck. Uh, the equip two is pretty good. Like you can, they like to like Ethan and, and uh, Ben like to talk about double spelling. 
um, because of the equip two, like on turn five or something like that, you can play a three drop and still equip this, um, or you can equip it and play it on the same turn on turn four. So I think it's in that kind of a nice little spot where Jousting Lance really wasn't. Like, Jousting Lance was great once you got it going. This one's not as good as Jousting Lance, but it's a little bit easier to get going. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be okay. I, I wasn't quite as high on it as he was. No, um, it'll be annoying, but I don't think it's, like, necessary. Okay. Two more I wanted to mention. Um, one which I think is pretty good is Sky Scanner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's three for a 1-1 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. It's no Skittering Surveyor, but um, I'd be okay with this card. Is it better than Skittering Surveyor? No, Skittering Surveyor was way better. You sure? Yeah, because Skittering Surveyor you used for fixing. Like, yeah, Skittering it... Surveyor opened up so many options in your draft. Skyscanner is just 3-mana 1-1, one, one, or like, replaces itself. Yeah, which I, I don't think is bad. I, I think it compares to Sur- Skittering Surveyor, or mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the Pilgrim's thing now. Eye. Pilgrim's Eye, that's it. That's the card I was thinking of. Um, if you're not splashing, this is, you know, functionally very similar to those cards. And like I said, some of the blue decks just want an artifact laying around. It's it's a fine card. It's a fine card. I think the next one may actually be almost bomb level. So you're going to have to talk me down a lot from the suspicious bookcase. Okay. It, it's two for a zero four defender. Mm-hmm. Three tap target creature can't be blocked this turn. See, here's the thing about magic. You could put any number of rogues passages as you want in your deck. Except we, in this set, because you can't draft them. Correct. <laughs> it's no Rogue's Passage, which was uh, a land that had five in tap or four in tap to give target creature unblockable. The reason it's not that is because that took a land slot in your deck, and this takes a spell slot in your deck. Um, I don't know. Like, I can appreciate that this does two things, and it doesn't do either of them entirely well. I guess the unblockable is pretty good. It's It's a decent rate. Um, but the fact that it's an 04 instead of an 05, uh, I don't know. So here's the thing. The only place I'm not super interested in this is very aggressive decks Mm -hmm. because in my very aggressive decks, I need my two drops to attack Mm -hmm. in any other deck where I'm playing two drops because you have to play two drops to trade with your opponents, two drops. This functionally does that. And then we get to the point where the board's stalled at that point. I don't need it to block anymore and I can now use it for something else. That means to me that this is a colorless two drop that's good in nearly every deck, good on turn two and good on turn 10. I I can't think of a better first pick out of most packs. Yeah, we'll have to see how board stally the format is um, before I know for sure. Like, I, I appreciate where you're coming from. I think I need to see it in action before I can pass judgment on it. So it really depends on how the format shakes down. I guess even if it's an aggressive format, this does blank some things, but I'd much rather play something that traded instead of something that just blocked and blanked something. Um, Yeah, but then, like, say you're against that aggressive deck and they're just running out tutus and stuff, and you finally stabilize and land, you know, your big creature, and it's like they're just going to chump it for 10 turns while they're looking for their lava axe. Like, I I need them dead. And like yeah. with most creatures, this is like, hey, you got three turns, man. You can yeah. either kill the creature or kill this or you're dead. And and that's fair. I mean, it, you have to tap this down, which means you're not blocking on the crackback. So I could see board positions in that case where you can't give your thing unblockable because it leaves you open to being swung at on the crackback. Do you know what I mean? So like, But you should I have th- enough of a board between two and five to block with the other stuff. Y- you hope so, but I, I, can, I can appreciate where you're coming with that. So... 
Um, I was also down on like not down, but like, you know, not as high on Wall of Mist as you were, right? And I know you like your defenders. Um, I can appreciate that this card will have a place in some decks. I just need to see it in action. So I'm going to reserve judgment on it. Fair enough. I'm, I'm very willing to be wrong about this card, but I'm more on the Ethan side, I think, than your side. Although I think you did convince him to come around when you convinced him that it, like, he was saying that it didn't do, like, when you wanted to do the one thing, you couldn't do the other thing. And, and basically you were kind of arguing that you want to block early and then unblockable late. And that was, he kind of came around on that one. So yeah, I'll, I'll watch you first pick it or early pick it and then i'll <laughs> kind of imitate whatever happens to you there okay cool i will show you the way all right um last but not least we got to talk about the fixing so first thing i want to talk about is rupture spire yeah uh this is an uncommon land enters the battlefield tapped and you have to pay one when it enters the battlefield or else you sacrifice it tap one to add any uh, one mana of any color to your mana pool so you get basically it's your fixing um it's good it's expensive like to play like it, it really sets you back on the tempo sometimes but i mean if you need a color if you need a five color land this is your five color land i've played this in two color decks as long as they weren't particularly aggressive and was happy mm-hmm. about it like it's a reprint we've seen this a million times yeah the fact that you can splash with it makes it even better i i think it's at least as good as the tap lands that we've got in in you know half the packs that's interesting because like I need to play with it to know for sure. But like looking at it, the tempo, the risk of a tempo loss seems very high with this card compared to a tap land. This you're tapping two lands, a tap land, you're tapping one land. But you so often aren't doing anything with all of your lands every turn anyway, mm-hmm. that the ability to cast, I mean, even in a heavy black white deck, if we've got, you know, double white and double black spells, I'm going to be pretty happy about that. So, like, sometimes I've played tap lands on turn three and not cast anything because I just didn't have anything to do anyway. This is the same thing in that scenario. I- I'm not saying that I'm going to go out of my way to pick these up and play them in two-color decks. Obviously, where I want this is where I'm like, you know, I've I've got this, I've got a fireball, and I am I was planning on playing blue-green. Blue mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden I see a ruptured spire and a, you know, gifts of paradise, and I'm starting to think a little bit. Sure. Yeah, just be. I think just be aware that like there's there is a cost to splashing, um, and you'll you'll find out what that cost is when you're like when you rip this as your land on turn three, and you can't play your three drop. Right, that's the same with the tap lands, but now you also can't play a two drop either. So yeah, I, I want to see how it plays. I'm sure it's good. Um, I just have no experience with a card like this. So yeah, it's it's good enough. Kind of reminds me actually of the um, the the bounce lands a bit in that same tempo style where like. If you're going to play a bounce land on turn two, you can't really do anything. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, it does in the tempo style. Just be aware this is nowhere near that no, good. Nowhere near as good, obviously. But the, the loss of tempo and really feeling it and like, oh man, like, do I want to play a two drop or do I want to play my bounce land, basically? Yeah. Um, okay. And then the uh, the tap lands that are in the, the common slot. So rumor has it that it's five out of 12 packs. So 10 in your average drafts. Um, so probably anywhere between 8 and 12 is what you can expect to see going around the table. Um, and there's one of every color. So this is kind of a neat little twist on fixing that we haven't really seen since cons, I guess, is when we got the tap land in every single pack. Yeah, this is significantly less than that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but- it's still along the same lines. And I think it's really cool that we that they can do this. Yeah, I think it's neat, too, that these aren't going in the uncommon slot anymore. 
because um, we'll see them a little bit more often than we did, and we'll also see good uncommons a little bit more often than we did. Um, I valued tap lands pretty highly if I was in those two colors, and even higher if you know I'd somehow picked a card that was a, a splash possibility. Again, there's a fireball in the set, so that one's a great example. But if I'm already playing blue-black and I see a Cinder Barons, um, and I've got that fireball, all of a sudden I, I'm really excited about that card. Yeah. Um, the good thing of, of, you know, how frequently these will show up is that, um, you might get a dud pack that you can just take the land out of and feel okay about it. Yeah. Right. And, and we don't have to worry about never seeing them because they're frequently in the uncommon spot. So I'm pretty happy to see, I wonder if people are going to take these highly and then do like the cons thing where you take all your fixing and pack one and then pack two and pack three, you kind of just play anything. I don't know if there'll be a five color deck. I don't think the payoffs are there. Like yeah. looking at it, the power level of the set is is ratcheted down. I think if these were in Dominaria packs, people would do that. I mm-hmm. think with them here, people probably won't do that. So you, what you'll end up with instead is like a you know sixty percent of your two color decks will have a tap land for fixing, which is nice. Which is pretty good. I'd be pretty happy to have just one tap land on color um, on, on my main my main my main colors and then uh or being able to splash a third color easily no evolving wilds but whatever this is basically the same thing so pretty happy all in all m19 it's i mean it's 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 gonna suffer under the shadow of dominaria but i think i think it'll be a fun set and i know i always say that but i i legitimately always do think that it'll be a fun set going in so this is no different and to be fair all of them have been for the most part yeah, I mean, I know I took a poop on Ixalan, and that that's only because I drafted the darn thing 40 times. The first 10 drafts were very enjoyable, and I think that's what most people draft a set, right? Most people, yes. Yeah. So, I, I agree. I look forward to playing uh, Two at a Giant at the pre-release again with this. There's some neat things you can do in Two at a Giant that I look to exploit or have exploited against me. Um, and then there's some neat shenanigans, you know? Like, there's a mill deck in here that I'm sure somebody's going to draft if they get the right rares and uncommons. Um, there's some serious shenanigans with life gain. There's ramp, there's sacrifice. It's, it feels like a core set to me and I'm pretty excited to see how it plays out. Yeah. And I'm excited to have something new to draft. I'm still enjoying Dominaria, which is good. I've still got two weeks of it. Uh, but like, like I said, it'll be nice to have that palette cleanser before we, you know, saunter off to Ravnica for a year. I agree. All right. Unless there's anything else, I think we're going to end it there. Yeah, looking forward to next week when we can kind of go over the archetype some and and maybe do some pack one pick ones. I'm excited about that too. Yeah, we get an extra week to do the kind of the pregame show before it launches and we get to see how many of our predictions come true. So uh, thanks to Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com for the host and all the support. And Travis, where can they catch you drafting Dominaria for the next week? Uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Simulan. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter under the same name. Uh, it's at Simulan, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And I'm at DCivilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N, Twitch and Twitter. You can also catch us on Men for Moto, uh Twitter, which is at Men for Moto. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, we have a Patreon as well, which is patreon.com slash Men for Moto. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.